today is a special day for, for me. About, I don't know, probably a couple years ago now, or a year and a half maybe, uh, you know, we were kind of newer to the area, um, and I happened to come across a gentleman here while uh, we had a ho our homeschool group was meeting here at the church, and him and I were able, were able to sit down for a meeting, and from that moment, I think we both sensed that, you know, God had brought us together, and, you know, they say, actually, uh, he, he mentioned it to me, he's the one who said it to me, I think, first, I'm sure he didn't coin the phrase, but, you know, maybe you've heard where, you know, you're supposed to have three people in your life, hopefully you have more than that, but there's three kinds of people that you should have in your life. Uh, one is, is uh, somebody that, again, maybe is older than you, that's kind of pouring into you. You should have somebody that's sort of a peer, that's kind of keeping, you know, uh, challenging you, and you guys are growing together. And then you should have somebody that you're pouring into, right? All of you do that, right? All right, that's why you're looking at me crazy. No, there's, we should, that's how we should, we should be looking for those places, because we need, to, again, there's just so many, uh, we're supposed to be giving, but we're also supposed to be receiving, and it's just this beautiful balance. And, you know, uh, this gentleman shared that with me, and he, he is that, for me, that one of that, that person that's older than me, and I say that with all respect in the world, um, more seasoned, uh, better looking, and it, he, uh, you know, he's been pouring into me. You know, we get to meet a few times a month, and it's just a time for me to kind of, and also he, he's been a pastor uh, in the past, and so he understands it, and he's able to speak into my life. And so uh, he approached me a while back and said, you know, he felt that, that he had a, a message on his heart to share with the congregation. And so uh, today uh, I've invited Daryl Farney uh, to, you can kind of come up, Daryl, and um, we can give him a round of applause too, please, just to welcome him. A lot of you know, probably have seen him. Uh, he recently, him and his wife Maureen, uh, became members recently of the church. And, you know, I, I really enjoy uh, getting some different faces into the pulpit just because that's, they give different perspective and a, a different approach. Um, and so, but the same scripture and the same message at the core of it. So, so Daryl's going to just uh, bring a word to us this morning. And I'd just like to pray for him and for us as we, we start our time here. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for this, this opportunity, Lord, to hear your word. I thank you for my brother. I thank you, Lord, for just the, the personal investment into my life and my family's life, but also, Lord, into the investment uh, that he's made even into the, the body here. God, I pray just that you would anoint him, that he would be your vessel truly today, and that, God, you would give him the words to share to, as he shares, Lord, your heart to your people. Open our hearts to receive and just ask you to bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, in my homiletics class, my teacher said, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there'll be a fog in the pew. <laughs> so I prepared a little sheet for you to fill out. And for you that are type A people, uh, don't worry about missing uh, a blank or two. I, I put some fill in the blanks over there. <laughs> so after the service, uh, you can go there. How many of you have your Bibles? Would you hold them up today? Oh, great. It's wonderful to see. This is our roadmap. This is the only truth that we can get in a culture like ours. And the Lord laid on my heart a, a, a message in December, and I was laid up with right shoulder surgery. So I had time to actually get into the study and, and really study. So this morning, I want to talk to you about something that really is heavy on my heart. Uh, having been a pastor for 35 years, 
uh, which included serving as a, a senior pastor, having a church of my own in the St. Louis, Missouri region, and having been a missionary now for the last 22 years, working with pastors. I moved from working with people and pastoring pastors. You know what that's like? It's like herding cats. Because <laughs> every, every pastor has his idea of what needs to be done. And that's good, because God's called him there. I realize what an honor and a privilege it is to be standing in this pulpit today. Handling the Word of God is, is both a challenging task and it's also a huge responsibility to carefully handle the Word of God and, and then teach it accurately. The Apostle Paul said this to his young Timothy, study to show yourself an approved workman, one that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Over the past two years, I've come to know and love Pastor Dell, his wife Leanna, their boys, uh, Isaac, uh, he helped me so much yesterday. We, we had a men's breakfast, and I corralled him to help me uh, wash dishes yesterday, and he was great, wasn't he, Dan? Oh, you weren't there. <laughs> In the kitchen, I mean. Uh, and, and Noah, Josh, <laughs> and little Levi, he doesn't want much to do with me for some reason. Uh, it's just because we haven't played together. But... We have a wonderful man and family to lead us during this next season of our church's history. And this is going to be a, a very exciting ride. Now, as we interact with a very hostile and ungodly culture, we must make certain that we're doing everything in our power to walk circumspectly. Do you know what that means? It, it means what I used to do as a boy growing up in Kansas me and my buddies would see how far around the corral we could go on this little inch and a half fence. And uh, obviously the one that went the farthest won the prize, which was bragging rights. I wouldn't suggest that to anybody. And uh, yet it was, a, it was a challenge to walk circumspectly on that, like a tightrope. As Christ followers, we faced an uncertain future culturally, politically, and economically. The media is increasingly devoted to fear-inducing subject matter. Riots, terrorism, uh, mass shootings, serial killings, environmental catastrophes, and the like. That's just the media. That's what sells. So if we focus our attention on those dangers and atrocities, we will become more and more what? Say it to me. Fearful. Because our natural tendency is to be filled with anxiety and fear. However, the Bible tells us that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. We're barely into the new year, and I find myself already walking the tightrope between being busy and instead coming before the Lord in quietness, seeking to slow down in His presence. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want us to go to Romans 8, 20, uh, verses 24 and 25. And I want us to look at the living hope 
that you and I have as believers. Unfortunately, many people, when they hear the word hope, they think, well, I, I hope this happens, or I, I hope this could occur. That's not what the Bible means with the term hope. What the Bible means with the term hope actually is confident expectation. A confident expectation. Unfortunately, most people don't see it that way. Our hope is not sure. Hope for the believer is a firm assurance regarding things that are unclear and unknown. Paul says in Romans 8, 24 and 25, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? I don't hope for a wife anymore. I've got one. <laughs> I've had her for 56 years. I don't need another one. I would hate uh, to, to try to find direction with a new woman. She knows me. She understands me. She's watching me right now at home. And so uh, she's been struggling with some health issues. And so uh, continue to pray for her. We love her. And we want her. I've never known her other than being beside me. Uh, she's always been there as a wonderful help. So Paul says, for in this hope we were saved. So when a person places his heart and faith and trust in the Lord, he or she becomes a Christ follower. The principles of Christ's kingdom become apparent in the beliefs and actions of this new believer. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is what? The evidence, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So the words that uh, are there are assurance, uh, hypostasis is a, a word, and conviction, elenchos. Faith is, involves not just a sense of assurance, but it also involves the idea of the proof of the reality of things not seen. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any person be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are new. Jesus entering the veil uh, did something for us. Turn with me to Hebrews 6.19. Hebrews 6.19 which says, we have this as a sure, steadfast anchor. Any of you boat people? You know what an anchor is. It kind of keeps you in place. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We know it as the Holy of Holies, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So Jesus entering within the veil signifies his entering the Holy of Holies where the sacrifice for atonement was made. Under the Old Covenant, a high priest would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies, and they would tie a rope around his leg so that if he misfired, they could drag him out because that's how holy this place was. You didn't go in there uh, distorting God's word. <laughs> you didn't go in there distorting his promises for his people. So uh, when we're anchored, the New Covenant is made once for all time. So in, by Christ's sacrifice, 
and himself on the cross, it's totally available now. Once anchored within the veil, his entering into the Holy of Holies was significant. We know according to the crucifixion narrative in Luke 23, 46, that the, the curtain in the temple between the outer part and the inner sanctum was slit right down the middle, which meant now for the first time as believers, we have access, we call it prayer. <laughs> we can go into his presence all the time. He walks with us. So that was significant access to the Holy of Holies, not accessible just once a year, but to every Christ follower every day of the year. Hebrews 4.14 says that since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 4.16 said, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't you glad that God's grace is available whenever you need it? You can call on it. Now, the writer of Hebrews, I think, was Barnabas. Uh, I know there are many who say they don't know for sure, but there are so many ways it looks like Paul's writing. But Barnabas was kind of a ditto for the Apostle Paul. And he used the term faith without an article, which indicates he's speaking of a faith in a general sense, not specifically a Christian faith. Faith gives reality. My first time using an iPad, so bear with me. I can touch things and it goes crazy. He was speaking of a faith in a general sense and not specifically a Christian faith like you and I have. Faith gives reality to the things hoped for. Uh, just like a young woman who's dated a young man for a reasonable amount of time, uh, she waits expectantly for what? A diamond ring. <laughs> and and uh, she waits patiently for her suitor. That's what they were called in the old days, kids. To produce an actual engagement ring when he asks for her hand in marriage. And I always made, I had two daughters. So the guys always had to talk to me if they wanted to date my daughter. And I... Uh, I didn't have a real big dog, but he sounded big. Uh, and so I knew all these guys that were interested in my daughters because they were beautiful. Just like, you know, they got their beauty from me because my wife still has hers. <laughs> you know, even Dave got that one. I believe that engagement ring gave evidence that the young man placed a lot of thought and ideas about this relationship because that ring cost him a chunk of change. I believe a genuine Christ follower will give evidence of his life changed by having a new hunger for the Word of God. When someone comes to Christ and they don't, they're not interested in reading the Bible, I say, well, that guy probably isn't a Christian because any, anyone I know uh, comes to a hunger for the Word of God. Also, he or she desires to be a part of God's visible church. 
I've always been a part of a church wherever I've gone. Now, I'm just recently here. We were at Willow Creek. It was a wonderful place for us for 20 years. Any of you gone to Willow Creek? It's a wonderful church. I still go there and serve uh, at the care center because it's a wonderful place. Many of you have been touched. I've already talked to several of you that were touched at Willow Creek. But it's a different place than here. This is so I can get to know people. I've met more people in the last uh, year and a half or six months than I'd met there all those years because I was traveling. I didn't have time to get involved. Here I'm going to get involved. I was here at the men's breakfast yesterday. And Adam, are you here this morning? I don't think he is because he had a sick child. But he did a great job of leading our men. Now we had 20, but next time we'd like to have 40. <laughs> we'd like to have more of you men come together. We want to build into you. We want to pour our lives into you. Just like I'm pouring my life into this young man over here. And everybody's younger these days. I go into a doctor's office. Holy cow. I think they're teenagers. <laughs> they're all younger than me. But that goes with being 76. And it's just part of the, part of the life. Now the Apostle John says it this way in 1 John 5, 11, and 12. And this is the testimony that God gives us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, that eternal quality of life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And like the Apostle Paul says, become imitators of me, he said to his followers, as I am also imitators of Christ. We're to be imitators of Christ. Now, you haven't had any blanks to fill in, so you're not behind. I want to talk about three benefits of a true believer's hope. The first is a forgiveness of our past. That's a wonderful thing. That means that we are freed from the penalty of sin. I don't have to deal with that court one day and deal with all the sins that I committed before coming to Christ. The sins we committed in the life we lived before coming to Christ are purged from us at salvation. Can I hear an amen? amen. Wow, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Christ has now become master of my life. So what is sin? Very simply, sin is anything I think. You ever had wrong thoughts? Anything I say that isn't Christ-like. Anything I do or anything I don't do. Some of those things I know I should do and I don't do them. So literally, we're up to a, a big degree of sin that can happen in anyone's life. Anything that we think, say, do, or don't do that doesn't honor Jesus isn't pleasing to our Heavenly Father. And I found when Christ came into my life, He changed my want-to-doer. You know what that is. I want to do things, and I don't do them. I don't want to do things, and I do them. A missionary in a very primitive tribal village led the witch doctor to the Lord. He got him established with a couple of guys in the tribe, but he had to go on to the next village. And it was about a month before he came back, and he asked the witch doctor, while I was gone, what was this new life of yours like? Well, he said, it's like having a black dog and a white dog. And they're constantly growling and fighting each other. 
And the missionary said, well, which one wins? And he said, the one I feed. If I feed the old dog, he's going to win every time. If I feed the new dog, he's going to specifically start winning more victories. Now turn with me back a few chapters to Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to read a, a, a fairly long passage here. But it lets me know that Paul was in the same place that I am as a, as a Christian. Read with me verses 14 through 25. For we know, Paul says, that the law is spiritual. But I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it. It's my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but evil I do not want it is, is uh, what keeps on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, you have to be kind of careful here because you get slipped up here. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find that I delight in the law of God, where? In my inner being. But I see in my members another war, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin. It dwells in my members. And then he asks the question, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers it in the next verse, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. If any of you would like to go home this afternoon, and especially you younger guys and gals, go on and go to your uh, Google platform and, and type in your search engine uh, a caterpillar. <laughs> There's a two-minute video that was so cool. This caterpillar crawled out onto the limb, and then he wove a cocoon around himself. And through time-lapse photography, what took days took just a few minutes, two minutes. And you watched him build that cocoon. And then if you go to the same uh, place and put in uh, show me a butterfly that's struggling out of its cocoon. There's another time-lapse two-minute video that shows this monarch butterfly trying to get out of the cocoon. And so it sometimes takes them five to 21 days to get out of the cocoon. This is an example of what we call metamorphosis that takes place in a new believer's life as he or she grows in their Christian life. So the Apostle Paul had a past. All of us in this room, even if you're kids, have a past. The Apostle Paul had a wicked past. His name was Saul. <laughs> he was the Osama bin Laden of the early church. 
Exactly. Luke records in Acts 8.3 that Saul began ravaging the church. That's a great word. Ravaging the church. Entering house after house and dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. However, we read in Acts 9.1, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was the followers of Christ, both men and women, he would bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now this was the same man who wrote Romans 8, 23 and 24, that we read, for in, ho in, in, in this hope we are saved. Saul became a Christ follower, and his, his, his life was wrecked. It was totally different. I suppose if we got knocked off our horse and was blind for a while, that would shake our, our tree a little bit. But that, that's what we find in Acts chapter 9. So um, the, the great thing is that we have now the power to live victoriously now. So we've moved into a new stage now with the Spirit coming in who frees us from the, not the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. The Holy Spirit now lives within us. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And Jesus explaining the Holy Spirit to his disciples said in John 14, 17, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him. Why? Because he dwells with you and will be in you, he said to his disciples. That's coming, but you have him inside you if you've invited Christ into your life. When a person becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit moves in and takes up residence. Turn with me to Romans 8, 9, and 10. Here de uh, Paul declares something amazing happened. F.F. F. Bruce, in his commentary on the book of Romans, lays out at least five specific activities of how the Holy Spirit works on behalf of believers. And that's where we're going right now. Number one, the Spirit imparts life. Romans 8, 9, and 10 says, You, however, he's talking to you, the believers, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. To be in the Spirit in pneumatai, that's the, the concept, is the opposite of being in the flesh, in sarke. To be in the Spirit is to be in Christ. And in another New Testament letter, Paul says that we are all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink into one Spirit. So that's the first thing the Spirit does when he comes in. He imparts life to us, this eternal life. Secondly, the Spirit bestows freedom. Romans 6.18 says, And having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. 
Verse 22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, that fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end ultimately is eternal life. That's the quality of life that we receive. If those who are led by the Spirit that are God's sons and daughters, for he says in 8.14, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So this relationship allows us to approach God as his children. We can call him by the same name that Jesus did, our Father, which art in heaven. Now my father was a farmer. <laughs> he never went past eighth grade, but he was a man of God. He met the Lord about age 30, as did mom, and their lives were changed. And he always taught me, son, your word is your honor. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Or die. <laughs> it was so important for him. And that's the way he paid his bills. One, one time we had a kind of a flood in the creek behind our house. Uh, he was on the other side with sheep. And a guy came that needed uh, payment for a check. And so dad wrote the check out, put it in his glasses cake, and flinged it over the water. The guy said, no, you can get it later. It's OK. No, he said, I want to pay it now. Throw me the case back, though. <laughs> All right. So the, the fourth thing that the Spirit does for us is he intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27 the, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For if we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Now, when a, when a pastor or a preacher takes off his watch and puts it there, what does it mean? Nothing. <laughs> it just means he knows how much time he has left. Well, Christ intercedes for his people in heaven, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us inside of us. Is that good news? Wow. The final thing that the Spirit does, I'm sure there are many others, but the Spirit is the sanctifying agency in our lives. 2 Corinthians 3.18 The Spirit is divinely powerful to put the flesh progressively out of action in our lives. Those of us who are yielded to his control and his enabling grace. And we, Paul says, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is, what? Spirit. So we can be assured that the Holy Spirit is in work in each of our lives in the present to reproduce in increasing measure. When someone comes to me and talks about sin, I know it's in three categories. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we see it in another three, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. So addictive behaviors no longer 
have to be given into. You don't have to give in to pornography. You don't have to give in. Am I not loud enough? Can you turn me up a little bit? I'm talking as loud as I can. All right, does that help? Is it up a little bit? Felix? All right, we'll uh, put it up a little bit. So the believer's hope is securely tied to the salvation of our soul, as well as sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, which assures our ultimate entrance into heaven. That's how we know we're going to get there. So in summary, our hope at salvation freed us from the penalty of sin. You got that one? That's good. As well as his sanctifying work assures us that we are freed from the power of sin in the present. I don't have to give in to my flesh. I don't have to give in to the stresses of my life. That's the beautiful part. And I work out at uh, the club every day. I, I walk, I swim, and I've got a lot of guys around me that don't know the Lord. And I hear them talking in a different way <laughs> because they don't have the spirit inside saying, don't say that. <laughs> You've got more words, use them. So in summary, our hope of salvation freed us from the penalty of sin in the past. Our sins have been wiped away, and according to Psalms 103, verse 12, they're removed as far as the east is from the west. Now, if he'd have said the north to the south, there would be a limit on it, because <laughs> you got the north pole and the south pole. When you go east to west, there's no limits. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit has freed us from the power of sin in the presence. Do I hear an amen? amen? We can live victoriously now. So the final bent of the believer's hope is that our hope for eternal life means that he will one day free us from the presence of sin. There's sin all around us. Things that we are tempted by. And back in the beginning passage we started with in Romans 8.25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The final work of the Spirit is the pledge of coming glory. Not only does the Spirit provide the power for living in the here and now, but His abiding presence guarantees entry into the next life. When you, when you buy a house, we've done this several times and moved to various places, uh, when you say, I will buy this house, they actually look for a down payment. So you have to put a fairly significant amount of money down, which promises that you're going to come back and buy the house. And if you don't, what happens? You, you lose the down payment. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul writes to his beloved congregation, in Ephesus, he says, In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance. Other translations say it's the down payment. Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The truth allowed Paul to speak with such certainty in Romans 8.38 that he said this, I am persuaded, I know for sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Is that fabulous stuff or what? When I was 17, a junior in high school, my mother came down with colon cancer. And I watched her fight for two years, but she lost the fight, and she went home to be with the Lord when I was 19. And Satan, listen to this, Satan tried to come in and convince me that to allow my mother to die at 57 was proof positive that God no longer loved me. And I found myself getting angry at God. Any of you that have lost loved ones, don't get angry at God. The author of death is Satan. Get angry at him. And it took me a little while to figure that out as a 19-year-old as a that I didn't need to be angry at God. My mom had done her job. It was this passage of scripture that pulled me out of the water. It served as an incredible anchor for my soul and assured me that nothing could separate me from God's love. Settle that in your heart. <laughs> Understand that. Dear friends, it's so important that we read the word of God, that we take it into our lives, that we memorize it, we meditate on it, we spend time in it every morning. And as a teenager, I got into the habit of reading this every day and writing something down of what God said to me. And it's been great for me all these, uh, these years. May I suggest to you that you open the word every morning. I had to get up early because I had chores and I had to be on the bus at 7.30. <laughs> and the chores had to be done. The cows had to be milked. The pigs had to be fed. And so I always got up early. There's coming a day, folks, as believers, or at Christ's return, whether our death comes first, we will be ushered into the everlasting state of life in heaven. There will be a transformation that takes place and our earthly body will be changed into a spiritual body and we will be at home with the Lord forever. Anybody heard of Max Lucado? Max Lucado said it this way, God never said that the journey would be easy, but he did say that the arrival would be worthwhile. <laughs> In July of 2008, Don Wurtson put music to a song that had been written years before called Finally Home. And numerous times in the past 25 years, I've found myself singing the words, just think of stepping on shore. 
and finding it heaven. Of touching a hand and finding it God's. Of breathing new air and finding it celestial. Of waking up in glory and finding it home. Wow. As I bring this message to a close, I would like everyone here in our community center and those of you watching online to examine your hearts with the truths of this message. Do you know without a doubt that Christ lives in your heart today? Answer that in your mind. Do I know that for certain? Am I dead sure of that? Can you point to a time, maybe not a day, but a day and time when Christ came into your life? I know where I was sitting. It happened in my life. If so, you can claim, like the Apostle Paul, with certainty that your sins have been forgiven. Then you can know with certainty that God's Holy Spirit lives within your heart right now and forever in heaven. So if you say, I just don't know that for certain, I'd like to have that settled right now. You can do that right now before God and all these witnesses. I'd like all of us online and here to bow our heads and I'm going to pray a prayer of decision. No heads, all heads bowed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you'd like to settle this today, you can do it before you leave the service. Here's the little prayer that I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner and that I can't save myself. I'm asking you to forgive me. And I realize I can't do it myself. I want you to come into my life as my Savior, as my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin and make me the kind of man, woman, boy, girl, teenager, young adult that you want me to be. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around, if you prayed that prayer with me for the very first time and you say, I'd like to settle this, would you just stand to your feet wherever you are? No one has stood, but that doesn't mean everybody didn't pray, somebody didn't pray that prayer for the first time. If you prayed that prayer, and you would like some counsel, Pastor Dell, Pastor Santiago, myself, will be down front here. If you'd like to settle that this morning, you can do that. Father, thank you for the hope that is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen.